But there's also a, a very real boost when things are going well in athletics and we're prominent on national television, that it does help with recruiting faculty. It helps with admissions. Our application numbers go up. And I think, as I say, it just puts a little more spring in the step. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. With a kickoff of football season starting this week for many colleges, we wanted to invite on someone on the podcast to chat about the current landscape of college football. For this discussion, we couldn't think of anyone better to invite on than Bill Beekman on Michigan State University. Bill is a true lifelong Spartan who has worn many hats for the university, most recently as the athletic director since 2018, and going forward will be the new vice president of strategic initiatives for Michigan State University. So welcome, Bill, and also congrats on the promotion. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. So can you talk a little bit about your own personal journey to becoming the athletic director and then also what your current thoughts are on the new role with the university? Sure. Well, I started at Michigan State in 1995 answering a want ad. The young people today wouldn't even know what that is. Spent about the first 10 years of my career working in the medical schools, which is a a great passion of mine, something I very much enjoy and doing a lot of legal work for the medical schools. And then transitioned into working for the provost, then running the Alumni Association, then about 10 and a half years as vice president and secretary of the board of trustees. And obviously a very tumultuous time in the history of the university a few years back. And when President Simon stepped down, retired, I was asked to step in as the acting president. The only eventful thing that happened in that 10-day period was that Mark Hollis, our athletic director, had decided to retire. And I begged Mark to stay. He was an extraordinary athletic director, and we miss him a great deal. But Mark decided to retire. And so when President Engler came on board, the first thing on my list for him was, John, we need to find an acting athletic director. And much to my great surprise, he asked me to do it. And I must say that of all the jobs that I might have expected or thought about having at Michigan State, athletic director was not even remotely close to being on that list. But if that was where John thought I could serve best, I was happy to do it. I've been over here about three years, and it's been a very challenging time with the pandemic, a lot of challenging financial issues without having fans in the stands. I think very hard on the morale of the team having to work through all of that. But but we've persisted. I think we've got ourselves fairly squarely in a better place and come through it as strongly as we can. And so when President Stanley asked me to think about taking on a new challenge, it seemed like a a good time to pass the baton. And the university is just completing a strategic planning process. The board will receive that and approve it, we hope, at the September meeting as we start the next academic year. And so Sam asked me to step in and you get a strategic plan. There's a lot of work that goes into it. 
in so many organizations, the three ring binder is completed. It goes on a shelf and sort of from there it sits. And so uh, not wanting to have that happen at Michigan State, Sam has asked me to sort of pick up the baton and make sure that that plan gets implemented and, and that our priorities at the university are effectuated. And so I'm excited to have that opportunity. In the coming weeks, we'll have a new athletic director and I'll, I'll head back over to the administration building right around the corner from the office I left and, and begin working with Sam again. And I'm very excited to do so. Well, very impressive. That's quite the impressive personal journey. And I can imagine since 1995, the process for recruitment. So not only for people like yourself working in more of a kind of staff role, but then also the potential students and coaches on the athletic side has probably changed a little bit. And so do you mind touching upon what that process is like trying to recruit those students and coaches on a national level? And especially with so many options available for students and coaches to go, you know, anywhere nationwide, pretty much. What special things do you like to highlight about MSU? And then also has social media played an influence in this at all? Yeah. So a couple thoughts on recruiting. Back in my prior roles, I did a lot of recruiting on the academic side, working to hire and assist in the hiring of a number of deans and vice presidents. And it was always my thought that if we could get the candidate and the candidate spouse on campus, and we could show them our campus, our facilities, and the colleagues they'd be working with, we always had a pretty good shot at getting the person. If we could just get them on campus, we'd have a great chance because we've got a beautiful campus. The community is very nice. Our facilities, by and large, are very good. And I think our people are very collegial and sort of the Midwestern spirit. So the pandemic really threw a wrench in that, I think, from a lot of our recruiting because you know, for example, in, in football, Coach Tucker's recruiting was almost 100% virtual for that first year. It was actually against NCAA rules for them to travel. Students could come to campus, but we couldn't actually spend time with them. We could email them a map and tell them, you know, go see this, go see that. But if we actually interacted with the students, that was an NCAA violation. So in a way, technology has been a blessing because we've been able to interact over things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams and those kinds of technologies to talk to students. And I think that that our coaches and our staff are very strong in using that technology to recruit. But I think it's been a real challenge for everyone, you know, and even you know, especially perhaps for the students who are having to make decisions, never really having spent time face-to-face, person-to-person, you know, sitting across the table having lunch with a coach or their fellow students or anything like that. So it has been a challenge. And I think that in some ways, technology can enhance the recruiting process, can help students get more information, and can help our coaches get more information about them to make sure that that fit is right. Then there's social media, which I think throws sort of a big curveball into everything. You know, it always stuns me when I go on some of these, which I really don't do that often. But occasionally when I go on these sites, the sort of chat room kind of sites, And you see people that have like 50,000 or 80,000 posts. And at least I think to myself, how does one find the time to be that engaged? And there's a lot of gossip and innuendo and rumor. And and so I think that, you know, there's just a lot of times where where probably as coaches, I would say people are much better served by just not being on social media and having communication directly with the coaches and the students and So I think it's one of those things like most things in life where there's a little bit of good news and a little bit of bad news. 
I think that's a good way to sum it up. And probably throwing a big wrench into all of this has been the recent name, image, and likeness ruling coming from the NCAA. Do you mind touching a little bit on that and help the listeners understand exactly what you know changes have been taking place? And does it apply to all sports equally? So it does apply to all sports equally. What name, image, and likeness is, is it's giving a student athlete the opportunity to use their name, image, or likeness, you know, essentially to make money. And that had previously, for the most part, been prohibited by NCAA rules. So for example, you know, to pick an easy example, a young man on our tennis team wants to go home over the summer and teach tennis lessons. It wasn't impossible, but it wasn't easy to jump through the hoops. So what name, image, and likeness does is it allows student athletes to use their name or image or likeness to generate money, even while they're participating in college athletics. And it's important that people understand that this is the opportunity, say, for a student athlete to engage with a car dealership to do a commercial to engage with a supplier of t-shirts or jerseys to market those items with their name and number on them, having paid the appropriate licensing fee to the university. It's the opportunity to sell your autograph or to have a social media presence, to have a YouTube video channel and to make money off of that. So all of these are opportunities for student athletes to essentially engage in business with external entities. It is not an opportunity for the university to pay the student money. The universities, in fact, are really out of this. It's really opening a door for a student to interact with commercial entities. So what can we as a university do? Well, what we can do and what we are doing is we've implemented a program called Evergreen that really has two components. One component, we've partnered with a company called Influencer. And what Influencer does is it sort of wraps its arms around the student with a lot of educational material tied to helping that student develop their brand, develop their opportunities for them to explore working with the company. It also helps them value their brand if they're on social media to provide some sense of what their value is so they can cut a good deal when the opportunity arises. The other prong of Evergreen is working with a company called Anomaly And what they really do is provide academic training, education for our student athletes on how to work with a business, how to hire a lawyer or an agent, how to go through that process, because we as a university can't be at the table when they do that. They have to do that on their own. And so we try and provide them with all the educational tools we can so that they can make the best, wisest decisions and explore whatever opportunities might come their way. Yeah, it certainly opened up a lot of good opportunities. But then to your point, there's a lot more things to kind of be educated on and make sure that those people are, you know, not only presenting themselves in the best way, but obviously you'd hate for something negatively to kind of happen or pop up from that. And so that's very interesting you bring up. And so shifting from, you know, from the student now to the actual athletic department, let's talk a little bit about the economics of college athletics, especially, you know, being that Michigan State's in a big power conference program, you know, 25 varsity sports at MSU. So can you help listeners understand how that breaks down by sports and then also what significance that football plays within the overall athletic budget as well? So MSU athletics operates in a sort of normal year, which, you know, of course the last year really hasn't been, but in a normal year on a budget of about $140 million. And one of the important things to understand about that $140 million budget 
is that none of that money comes from tuition. None of it comes from our state appropriation. The athletic department really floats on its own bottom and only spends money that it itself generates. And there are probably about, depending on the year, 20 to 25 athletic departments across the country that have the financial ability to do that. From my perspective, it's really, really important that we do that because it preserves all of our traditional resources like tuition and the state appropriation for academic purposes. And so it's important that the department float on its own bottom. That was particularly challenging this last year in the context of the pandemic, where we lost about a quarter of our football schedule. And so we had a quarter less of our television revenue. And then we lost all of our ticket revenue. And that included seat premiums, suites, all those kinds of special seating areas, along with the traditional seats in the bowl of the stadium. You know, it also decreased licensing revenue. You know, when people aren't going to games, they're buying fewer hats and t-shirts and all of those kinds of items. And it decreased our multimedia revenue, which is the revenue that we get from, say, an advertisement in the program or during a radio broadcast or the ads that you see on the scoreboards inside the stadium or on the ring at the Breslin Center, those kinds of things. So all told, on a $140 million budget last year, we lost about $80 million because of the pandemic. So we went from about 140 in revenue to about $60 million in revenue. We were able to cut about $50 million out of our expenses. And then with our rainy day fund, because frankly, it's hard to think of a rainier day in college athletics than the pandemic, we were able to come very, very close to breaking even. But just to give your listeners a sense of how that $140 million breaks out, in terms of revenue, about $45 million of that is television revenue. And the vast majority of that is football. In terms of ticket sales across all sports, we sell about $21 million in tickets. And then you you also have, in terms of seat premiums, suites and clubs, courtside seating, those kinds of things all add up to about another $12 million. So We have postseason revenue, football, bowl sharing, the Big Ten tournaments, the NCAA basketball tournament. That revenue sharing that we get from those various events gets us a little over $10 million a year. Our typical year in terms of sponsorships and multimedia rights is is about between $7 and $8 million a year. And then we have donations that range from, usually range in the $15 to $20 million a year range. So those revenue sources all add up. And of course, there's a little, you know, other things a little here and a little there. But as you can see, the primary sources of revenue are television and then ticket sales and premium seats and premium seating and those kinds of things, and then donations. So several of those were really hit in the pandemic, and yet we were able to get through last season. So our great hope this year is that we'll, if the game were played as we're conducting this conversation, We'd plan on having a full house. Obviously, as the weeks pass, anything could happen. If we learned anything in the last year and a half, it's that predicting what happens two, three weeks, a month from now is is a little challenging. But our hope is to have a full stadium and follow basically the university's rules that people that are outdoors are mask optional. People that are indoors would be required to wear a mask. And so that's our goal and our hope going forward. You know, when you think about And I'll just make one other comment. When when you think about expenses, 
when you think about how we spend that $140 million, you know, our football budget is about 25 million. Our basketball budget for men's basketball is about eight and a half. Women's basketball is about three and a half. Ice hockey, about two and a half million. And then it goes down from there where everybody else is in the range of between a half a million and a million and a half. But football generates most of the revenue. It bears a significant part of the expense as well. And most of those expenses in football and basketball would tend to be the salaries of the coaches. So when you were going through some of those you know, key points, one point that I really want to highlight on is kind of the donation part. And I can definitely see how a successful athletic program can offer a lot of benefits to the university too. So I've heard in the past, you know, it can lead to, as you mentioned, more donations, more applications, prospective students. I guess, what are some other, you know, benefits like that? And do you mind talking a little bit further upon that point too? Sure. Yeah, as you say, donations are a significant part of our budget. And so we're always looking to our very generous donors to support us through endowment, through just providing uh, cash for operations and new projects, and then for the facilities we build. But as you say, the strength of the department that's built on those donations then really cascades across the university. And you know, you'll hear many people say that the, that the athletic department is sort of the, the front porch if the university is the house. And you know, I've always thought the difference between Duke University and, and Hope College is basketball. Two great universities, roughly similar sizes at some level, and yet the difference is Mike Krzyzewski putting Duke on a national map is one way to think about the influence that an athletic department can have in a university. And certainly when we win a Rose Bowl or get to a Final Four, you know, I've always been convinced that even those folks that are sort of curmudgeons about athletics around campus have a little bit more spring in their step. And I think it gets the community excited. And so there's a great morale boost, but there's also a very real boost when things are going well in athletics and we're prominent on national television, that it does help with recruiting faculty. It helps with admissions. Our application numbers go up. And I think, as I say, it just puts a little more bring in the step of the university community and the greater Lansing community. So athletic success is important. And, you know, and in the same sense, running a very clean program is important because the university's reputation is in many ways tied to the reputation of the athletic department. Oh, great. Those are all really good points you bring up. Very interesting. And so what is your, if you had to rank and maybe you have a couple of favorite sports memories from your times, you know, as a student at MSU throughout all the years administrator and into your current role now, if you had to narrow it down maybe to a couple of your favorite memories, I guess, what would be the most favorite memory that you have in relation to MSU sports? So probably my favorite memory, favorite game I attended was in the last home football game of 1987. I was a junior at Michigan State. And, you know, I've been a Michigan State athletics fan really since birth, grew up in a house that was within walking distance of my current office. And that game was a home game against Indiana and winning that game sealed our ticket to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And as a youngster growing up, I'd sat through some pretty miserable seasons. And the idea of going to the Rose Bowl some years just seems kind of beyond one's comprehension. And so sitting there in the student section and old timers at MSU would remember 
that the field used to be sort of at the level of the first row of seats. So you could literally sort of stand up if you were in the first row of seats and walk onto the field. It wasn't lower like it is now. And so I remember after that game, rushing the field with all of my friends that lived in Case Hall and Wilson Hall and standing there in the middle field and just sort of crying because it was just like this unimaginable dream that the team was going to Pasadena. And what was special for me personally was that after the game, I walked back. I was an RA in Wilson Hall that year. And I picked up the, because I didn't have, you didn't have cell phones at that time. I got back to my dorm. I picked up my phone and I called home and my dad picked up the phone and my parents had four kids and not a lot of extra money. And the first words out of my dad's mouth were, you know, don't worry, we'll find a way to get you there. And it was just awesome. It was awesome. And I'll give you one other brief memory. And that was another Rose Bowl memory back in 2014. And and that year I was, I was in a very different role. I wasn't a student, but I was the secretary of the board. And I remember sitting on the sidelines with President Simon at the time as the clock ticked off and we win the game and going into the locker room with President Simon and the team and the excitement, the joy, the enthusiasm was just so incredible. It's just so special. And that's you know, one of the things that I'll miss about athletics is spending time with the young people enjoying their success, being with them in their times of challenge. But we really have very, very special student athletes. And everybody hears about the one or two that mess up and land on the front page of the paper for doing something something wrong. But we need to remember the 750 other kids who are working their tails off, getting good grades in class, working for their sport in a very quiet way without a lot of notoriety, just because they love it. And that's yeah, to me, that's really what's special about Spartan Athletics. Definitely two very pivotal moments in MSU sports history. So appreciate mentioning that. And so working our way to our last question. So at TriStar, while as a firm, we provide comprehensive wealth management services to our clients at the center of all that is relationships. Building genuine relationships is something that we talk about every day. And I'm sure that you find relationships as key part of running athletic department as well. So can you talk about that and maybe share any examples that you've experienced firsthand? with regard to the importance of building relationships within your coaching staff and student athletes? Well, I think relationships are absolutely critical in not only in with TriStar and and what you all do, athletics, the university as a whole. If we're all moving in the same direction, things go a lot more smoothly than when we're sort of at cross purposes. And so in my mind, I effectuate that. I work on those relationships by spending time with all of our coaches. And I try and sit down with at least one coach every week in their office just to understand what their issues are, what's going on, what's working and what's not. You know, and I try and get out to practice and, and then spend time with our student athletes, whether it's in the study lounge or before or after a practice, or you know, we have what I call breakfast with Bill, where periodically we'll sit down around a conference table. And unfortunately, it's been virtual the last year, but typically we'd sit down and have breakfast and just talk about whatever the students want to talk about. And so in that way, I've gotten to know, you know many of our student athletes. It's been a great joy to stay in touch with some of them after they graduated and you know, to watch students that I enjoyed getting to know when they were here. You know, students like Kari Willis on our football team, who's had really an extraordinary professional career and is a very, very special young man. Or Sarah Burnham from our golf program, who's in her second year on the LPGA and just has more grit and tenacity than about anybody I've ever met in my life and, and both good students and special people. And so, 
you know, to me, those relationships really drive what we do. And they give you the energy and the spirit to get through the tough times and keep fighting through. So no, I, I think that irregular communication and outreach and just spending time together is really one of the most important things we can do and what helps drive our success. Absolutely. You know, I think that is, that is critical advice for anyone listening to the podcast. So thank you for that. And thank you again for all listeners out there for listening to another episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Bill. Thanks so much, Will. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.